Please welcome to the stage, Todd Conklin. Everybody, Todd Conklin, Pre-Accident Podcast. How are you today? Which is, you know, a relatively significant question since the world is swimming in uncertainty. Is that a good, is that a good enough way to say that? Probably. That's probably a good enough way. So if you've been missing me, you haven't really been missing me. I let a little air gap exist around the most recent podcast episode in case you listen in order. Because that one had lots of content that I thought would bring out um, interesting discussions at every level. And I believe I'm right. Because holy guacamole, and I don't say that lightly because I never joke about guacamole, there was quite a little response to this at every single level, which is good. I mean, that's exactly what we wanted. And I thought that uh, made for interesting intellectual fodder as it were. But we're going to move on. Now, today's a really interesting day. It's kind of a sneak peek day. And um, it's not that there's a lack of content. Oh, no, that is not. The, in fact, there's some really interesting stuff coming up on the podcast. It's that today I was told in no uncertain terms that I needed to talk about the application that my newest project has for all of us in the world. And I did not, honest to goodness, put this together. You know how when you do stuff, you sort of, in your mind, you compartmentalize and you think this is this project and this is that project and these two. I, I didn't see a lot of crossover because I didn't look. Um, I was sorely scolded by uh, a couple people. One was one of the people who um, was editing the stuff I was doing. And then some people who did some pre-reads um, came back really clearly and said, you need to probably um, look at this differently. So let me give you, I haven't really told you what I'm talking about. So I've been working on this new book and I've been working on it for a while. And it's called When the Worst Accident Happens. And it's a, it's a guide to how to respond to create a restorative response. I used respond twice. I think the title's better than what I just said to a catastrophic, like a fatality in your organization. And when I, I started this project a couple of years ago because nobody's really got, like I didn't know where to go to get help if I had a really bad thing happen in my organization. And unfortunately for me, I've been involved in lots of fatality investigations. It, oftentimes as a peer assist, oftentimes I'll be brought in to to sort of help with um, the, the organizations under a lot of, it's just a really awful time. And so I'll come and kind of help with that. And I've done it a bunch, a bunch of times, a lot, a lot of times. And, um, and the idea that you could probably look at what pretty much is helpful, what, what's almost always present and write that information down is kind of attractive. And so that's when this all kind of, this, this whole thing kind of started from that. So I wrote this book, and I didn't write it during the pandemic. I wrote a bunch of it before the pandemic, but then I finished it up during the pandemic because, you know, I had some time because you can't just eat all the time. Sometimes you can't eat. You have to stop eating and actually do stuff. And that's when they said, uh, they, the royal, they, this has got a lot of legs on it for responding really 
to a catastrophic event like a pandemic. And I thought, well, yeah, maybe. And then the more I looked at it, the more I thought about it, I think it's right. But I think the very best judge for this is not moi. It's not me. It's you. So one of the things you do when you write a book is you have to record it for Audible, for the books on tape, guys. And um, sometimes I do my own, and sometimes the publisher thinks I'm not good enough or responsible enough to do them. So like with pre-accident, they had somebody else do it. But it's great, though. I mean, that person, it's like listening to the Harry Potter guy read a safety book. If you've not heard it, just go to Amazon and Google it and just listen to the sample. He makes it sound a kind of... I don't know. It's magical, sort of. It's 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 uh, it's more. It's it's it impressed me, and I didn't think I'd be impressed. So maybe. It, but anyway, so I'm recording the uh, the audible for the book. That's what I'm doing. That's my project now, because that is the reward you get when you write a book. Is then you have to sit and read it out loud in a private room with no one around, covered with foam. You're not covered with foam. You're actually covered with normal clothing. The room is covered with foam. Get me so far. I'm not losing you, am I? Uh, I hope not. Anyway, so so what I decided I would do is just give you, just play for you the introduction to the book and let you determine if it's interesting enough for you to pursue um, because maybe it is. And if it is, tell me. And I don't know. Maybe we'll do something. But I, we can do a bunch of stuff. We can put it out on here. You can, it's available on Amazon now. Uh, you can pick it up. They make excellent gifts. Uh, yeah. People, nobody would not appreciate a present like that. A book about when the worst accident happens. Who wouldn't find that romantic and interesting? No one. Everyone would find that romantic and interesting. That's how good it is. But anyway, this, I want to play that chapter for you and kind of make it happen. So that's what today's podcast is about. How are you doing? Just as a check-in, um, for me... I'm noticing, and it, I'd be curious, I, it's different now, and I don't know if I'm more angry, maybe, it's, it feels different now. I, I'm busy, no question about it, you are too, so there's no worry on that, but but I, I think there's some risk homeostasis, it's, it's hard to manage this much long-term chronic crisis. And it's starting to have some kind of impact on me. I was talking to my friend, um, Mark McElhaney, who, if you don't know him, he's from Atlanta, works a lot with a small uh, soda pop business in Atlanta. I don't know if you've, it's, you, maybe you've heard of him. And um, he was explaining to me that his work is responding to crisis and that he's responding more now to suicides and potential suicides in the workplace than he's ever responded before, which makes sense and something we ought to talk about for sure. In fact, maybe I should ask him to be on the podcast. That, that would even be better than me telling you the story. But he, he came up with a theory, and his theory was is that extroverts whom he would add thought would have the biggest problem with the shelter in place and the crisis that's going on seem to actually – be doing quite well in this environment because they have lots of different avenues for social contact. Whereas introverts, this was his point, are actually not doing terribly well 
because their avenues are quite limited in a normal situation. And any kind of stress to that situation actually decreases the amount of places they have to cross over and have social contact. Yeah, I think maybe I'll invite him on because the more I think about this, that was a very interesting conversation. And it's something he's seeing a lot. And he's seeing it with, with manufacturing and construction people. I mean, that's, that's our people. So it's something that we need to be really aware of. And a part of uh, sort of the ever-expanding list of crap you have to be in charge of, which that does seem to be getting bigger and bigger. So without any further ado, and I've got lots of ado, let me start. Let me play this. This is the introduction chapter from the recording that will be submitted to Audible on my new book, which is called When the Worst Accident Happens. See what you think. I'd be curious. Listen and see if you think there's some crossover. Introduction. So I didn't start this book during the global pandemic. I finished this book during the global pandemic. And I worried about the world and my family and what would work look like after this life-changing event. It was a very interesting time to write a book on restoration knowing we would not go back to what once was. I started this book about three years ago. This is a book that I had no desire to write. I've already written one book about workplace fatalities and serious event prevention. I enjoyed writing that book because that book allowed me to hold a mirror up against the model being currently trumpeted, which was simply to repeat the years and years of doing normal safety techniques, only now doing them harder and harder. The Workplace Fatality book discussed the notion that trying to prevent the accident was wrong-headed. Instead, what that book focused its attention on was creating systems that fail safely. We know failures will happen beyond our ability to predict, and therefore the organizations that have fewer fatalities are most effective when these organizations manage the consequence of the failure. The book I wrote about fatalities being a function of the loss of control was a much different book to write and research than this current book on how to respond after the worst thing has happened. Thinking about an event happening and causing a horrible outcome is a terrible thing. People should not come to work and have catastrophic outcome. People don't want to come to work and have a catastrophic outcome. Most workers want to go home happy and safe. I'm completely motivated by not having catastrophic outcomes. I'm completely motivated for workers not getting killed or injured. My problem is in knowing that our organizations won't prevent their way to a safer and more reliable workplace. So I took this first book on as a challenge. I had the opportunity to say something about fatality and serious injury programs. I could perhaps get organizations to think about the problem with a new set of ideas around the management of horrible events. I was happy to write a book that discussed new and interesting ways to create organizational systems and processes, those processes that had robust safeguards in order to allow failures to have a less-than-fatal outcome. That book, Workplace Fatalities, Failure to Prevent, Conklin, 2017, is an entire book about managing controls and safeguards, and writing that book felt like I was making a difference in the way we think about serious accidents. If we would become less interested in preventing events 
and more interested in controlling events, we will be less capable of having the worst possible outcomes. We still might have events, but when these events happen, the outcomes would be so much less severe. Organizations don't prevent fatalities. Organizations control fatal outcomes, and there is a difference. Workers don't die because of lack of prevention. Workers die because of the loss of control. Now, that was a book topic I can get behind. But the book you're holding now, a book on what to do when the worst thing happens, feels like it's written too late and it's too short on information to actually make a difference. What can and should we do after someone has been killed? Why waste the time and the ink on a book that focuses on our organization's response to reaction to catastrophic failure? Well, the world doesn't need a book on prevention of events after a person has been killed. It's too late. The bad things happened. What the world may need is a book on how to restore the organization's ability to do safe and resilient work. What on earth should we do to regain confidence in our organization's operational reliability? If a horrible accident happens in your organization, your organization will have an investigation to determine the cause of the event. Most likely, investigations after the event are normal and expected. Your organization will have a group of lawyers who will make certain your organization understands exactly what failed and how that failure may or may not hold liability for your organization. Information from your organization will come closely held and confident. You will have formal and traditional responses built into your organization for what you should do and how you should act after the worst thing happens. Your organization will have a plan that focuses on both looking backwards in time and looking ahead in impact. And your organization will absolutely react to this event with big changes and aggressive corrective actions. But will your organization restore the operational confidence once held and quickly lost after the horrible event? Your organization will know exactly what failed to happen. Your organization will always discover what failed to happen in a serious accident. Organizations are quite good at knowing what failed to take place with the benefit of hindsight. Your organization will know what it did and what it did not do. And your organization will have loads of information about the failure of your organization to prevent the catastrophic outcome. The problem is knowing what did happen is vital for your organization. And that's a difficult question to answer. And knowing what did not happen, that's an easy question to answer, is not enough to help your organization know how to move forward. Traditionally, we've sought a cause because a cause makes the event context less complicated. We can fix causes. But how do we create a corrective action or a fix for the emotional and operational impact the event has had on our organization's leadership confidence people's feeling about our workplaces, and in short, our organization's culture. When a catastrophic event happens, the organization that had this event changes. The loss of innocence, this loss of confidence, deeply affects how members of the organization feel about doing work. 
a fatality is a serious indicator of a loss of reliability and a loss of resilience. Work that once seemed routine is now exposed as so dangerous you could die from doing it. Risk perceptions change almost instantly, and this change prevents both uncertainty and opportunity. We have all seen the balance between prevention and restoration in the global response to the COVID-19 pandemic. The virus got out, prevention failed, and suddenly prevention at national or state borders didn't matter very much. Hoping to prevent a pandemic after the world has been exposed to the virus is no longer very important. The event happened, and it was shocking to our systems. This shocking intervention was immediate and impactful. Suddenly, nothing was the same. Our desire to get back to normal was giant, only tempered by a certain realization that we would never go back to normal, not at least as we once knew normal. There would be a new normal. In a way, this is very similar to the shock that goes through an organization after an awful event. We want to be able to turn back the clock, but we cannot change history to go back to normal. So we move forward and wonder what the future will look like. We know we cannot go back, so we move forward. In our journey forward, we begin to ask an important question. Can we move forward through learning and become better than we were? What matters now is how to restore our ability to get back to some type of normal. But do we want to just go back to the time when we left normal? And the answer is no. Our organizations and our world should use this opportunity to bounce forward stronger and smarter. We have the chance and the opportunity to become better. We have the chance to leverage restoration as a recovery strategy. When a person is killed in our workplaces, the death of that worker is the worst possible thing that could happen to our organization. Personally, professionally, to our leadership, and to our coworkers. There are few outcomes less desirable and more horrible. It means we fail. Our safety systems fail. We won't get to zero. Our management system fails. Leadership fails. Coworkers fail. Everything and everyone feels let down and saddened and shocked to the core and very, very sad. The worst possible thing that has happened, and we are significantly impacted by that event. So what are we going to do with this information to become better, to restore operations? What is the best path forward after the worst thing happens? This book discusses this topic from some of the best practices of companies that have had to learn these tragic lessons. We have learned what works better for organizations that have been dramatically changed by an event. We want to prevent bad things from happening. We all have a shared need to prevent bad things from happening. We want to prevent every fatality every time. We want to be a workplace where people don't get killed. We never want a worker to die, never. We can't imagine a failure so horrible in one of our facilities, and yet these terrible events happen. These events happen, and they're sudden, and they're surprising, and they dramatically disrupt the operations of an organization. Our organizational systems and processes 
fail to imagine the event that happened. We have not anticipated the potential path the accident took in creating the unwanted outcome. This failure to predict, this failure to anticipate, challenges our organization to move forward smarter. Looking backwards and wondering why is not nearly as valuable as looking forward and getting smarter. Every event is an opportunity to learn about something that we did not realize was a problem. Every event leaves the organization an opportunity to become more resilient, learning to fail, flex, and recover. Bad things happen all the time. Things that have never happened before happen. We live in a world filled with uncertainty and risk. We live in a complex world in which our paths to serious failure only increase and hide in our processes, our systems, and our organizations. Try as we might to predict and prevent every bad thing from happening, we cannot nor will not ever be able to imagine all the ways a system can fail. Our problem is we know processes and systems fail. We just cannot know which systems or processes will fail next. Complex systems don't promise happy outcomes. Complex systems offer a way to think about how interconnected our organizational processes actually are. It is possible to do things right and fail. Complexity is a lot like that. Traditional linear thinking does not account for complexity in either success or in failure. Prediction and prevention desires predictive and preventive systems. Your organization's system's complexity does not allow for the ability to predict and prevent every possible event. So I didn't start this book during the global pandemic, but I sure had a lot of time to write and think about this book during this frightening and uncertain time. The world stopped for a virus, and that made me react in several ways. I was scared. I was worried. I was sad. I was changed. In the midst of the pandemic, I started thinking about what we will do when the virus and the associated economic and psychological harms start to even out and become less serious. How will we move forward? What will have changed in our workplaces and our organizations? What will have changed in our world markets? How will my job change? How will the jobs of our workers, essential and otherwise, change? A pandemic, like a fatality or a serious event, is an enormous intervention in our workplaces. These types of crises change organizations and companies quickly and with a very long reach into the operational future. Yet a pandemic is not like a linear failure. It's not like a storm. You don't have a pandemic and then clean up the yard and go back to work. A pandemic is much, much more complex. And the places where we were interconnected and interrelated as a nation or a region, or even as a global community, those places force the realization that we are beyond cleaning up the driveway and moving on we won't start where we left off. A fatality is not a storm that hits your organization. You will not clean up after the event and pick up where your organization left off. That's the wrong analogy for both a pandemic and a fatality. You will have had a significant and profoundly changing complex intervention in your organization. You can't focus backwards on your future 
You must look forward at your complex organization. You must restore your ability to do work better. It was then I realized why writing a book about how to respond to a crisis-level failure is a good idea. This book about restoring operations and bouncing forward in our workplace seems important to write now. We're in a phase of our careers where we must do our work in all types of risky conditions, both known and unknown. We must operate. We must make. We must maintain. We must produce. We do work in a world filled with uncertainty and risk. How we move forward after the worst thing happens matters. How we move forward is not an accidental set of actions or even an emotionally charged reaction that happens in real time. How we move forward after the worst thing happens actually is a vital and important step to our organization's ability to bounce ahead, to become better and smarter, to learn and improve, and most importantly, how to restore the belief that the work we can continue will continue safer and more stable than the way the work was being done before the unwanted event occurred. When the worst thing happens, how your organization responds is vital to the entire future of your organization. This seems so obvious when you say it out loud or read it on the written page. Yet at the time of the event, our organizations often feel acted upon as opposed to acting strategically. How your organization responds is a strategic and deliberate act. How your organization responds must be a strategic and deliberate act. You may have felt at the time of the event that control was lost. After all, something horrible happened, and it seems like you lost control of your systems and your processes. But you are absolutely in charge of how you bounce forward after the event. We get the chance to restore both our lives and the lives of our organization in a way that moves beyond simply going back to where we were. We have the chance to move forward and create new and a more reliable future for our work and our organizations. In great pain, there is great opportunity. The opportunity to help our organization restore confidence in operations and to bounce forward in reliability. I hope you never need this information. If you do need this information, I hope you remember your job is to help your organization's ability to do high-risk work better, more reliably, and safer. So that's the introduction, just straight out of the old can. That's uh, that's what you said. It hasn't been, it hasn't had all the magic done to it that they do to it. Compress the voice and make the gap with room tone. There's a ton of rules. If you guys ever read a book for uh, Audible or or any of those, man, there's a ton of, and they do a lot of magic, a lot of uh, production magic. That's that's just what it sounds like when I send it to them. That's the non-magic version of the introduction chapter, but that's it. I mean, that's the chapter, the rest of the book, it's only nine chapters long. It's about 130 pages, which is the perfect sweet spot for a safety book. Um, kind of digs in a little bit and talks about those kind of things. It talks about notification and, uh, leadership investigation philosophy, how leaders think about the investigation, what they want out of the investigation. Talks a lot about the stages of grief, 
um, as applied to an organization, which is really, you're seeing that now. Um, and so you know almost exactly what that's about. And then it goes on with some thoughts about kind of what to do and how to do it. And then there's a, a discussion chapter at the end that kind of summarizes it all and makes it happen. That's the entire, you all, you don't even need to get it now. That's it. But it's, uh, it's, it's rich in understanding what to do when a crisis happens and how you can really leverage this time to develop and bounce forward so that you recover, you restore the ability for the organization to do its work better than it did before it had the failure. Um, actually, David Woods talked about this. If you're ever going to have an opportunity to make change with stakeholder support, now's the time. And it kind of talks about that idea, but in a respectful way that needs to follow some kind of catastrophic failure, which I guess is kind of right. I mean, now that I do this out loud, it does seem to have a lot of crossover, but I didn't really put that together until I started getting these kind of um, edgy emails saying, wow, um, you should think about this for post-COVID stuff. And I had not, but now I have. So that's the podcast. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Um, be kind to one another. That seems really important, especially now, because now things are kind of tough. And most importantly, be safe. <laughs>